Heal Thyself Using a Holistic Approach with Dr. Eric Madrid. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today, we're going to have Dr. Wes Youngberg, a lifestyle medicine expert on the show. We're going to be discussing diabetes and the role it plays in the development of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Also, we will be discussing what you can do right now to help keep your brain strong and help prevent dementia in the future. Also, if you know somebody that has Alzheimer's disease, we're going to discuss the latest research which shows that Alzheimer's disease may actually be reversible. So stay tuned and listen to this exciting information. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm here with Dr. Wes Youngberg, a practicing clinical nutritionist and lifestyle medicine specialist in Temecula, California. He was trained at Loma Linda University, where he earned a doctorate in clinical preventive care and a master's degree in nutrition. He's on the clinical faculty of Loma Linda University and serves as an assistant clinical professor for both the Department of Preventive Medicine at the School of Medicine and the Department of Health Promotion at the School of Public Health. Dr. Youngberg Youngberg is a board-certified nutrition specialist and is a founding director and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Dr. Youngberg, welcome to today's show. It's great being here with you, Dr. Madrid. Thank you. So we've known each other now probably for at least 10 years. That's right. We used to uh, practice together and, uh, and, uh, and now you're running a very successful uh, lifestyle medicine clinic and uh, treating a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of patients here in uh, Southwest Riverside County and beyond. And, uh, and, and you've actually taught me quite a bit over the years with respect to uh, encouraging my patients to uh, follow uh, different lifestyle or make different lifestyle behaviors or lifestyle choices and, and over the years following a lot of the stuff that you've recommended and, and taught me, I've seen numerous patients reverse their diabetes, get off of um, insulin, get off of blood pressure medications, uh, and, and, and much more. And obviously, this is not the kind of stuff that we're taught in medical school. <laughs> and, uh, and patients almost look at me like I'm from another planet when I even suggest that we <laughs> might be able to get them off of medications. But I'm sure those are the kind of things that you've seen hundreds of times over the years. Yeah, you know, I was just recently doing a talk for... Uh, for a big medical conference at about 1,200 physicians in San Diego. And, uh, and the, the conference was all about teaching physicians how to use an aggressive nutritional medicine approach to help them reverse disease, not just prevent disease, but literally reverse it. So I was asked to do a talk on reversing diabetes, and, and I, I was kind of chuckling about it because 10 years ago I was asked to do a talk like that at a medical conference, and the chairman of the of the conference co- uh, committee got up after I gave a talk on reversing diabetes says I just want to let everybody in this audience know there's over 600 physicians and nurses there that totally disagree with Dr. Youngberg's assertion that you can, that you can reverse diabetes and wow. you could have heard a pin drop there and uh, and of course he was coming from his perspective as trying to you know uh, minimize any potential criticism he was going to get as the chair of the conference but but also as a nephrologist he'd never seen somebody reverse their diabetes because he's catching them at the tail end of their of their many many years of of uh, dysfunction and and uh 
and progression of disease. So if, if you catch diabetes early enough, uh, and even I've seen people reverse their diabetes after 30 years of having it. That's amazing. Okay? So it's, it's just, in other words, we have to do address the actual cause of the problem or else you're never going to address it. You're right. never going to get to the core issues. You can't reverse a condition by treating symptoms. You can only reverse a condition by treating the original cause of the problem. So, so, the, so the cure, and so we're not reversing diabetes with more drugs, more pharmaceuticals, more pills, right? Yeah, and in fact, it's it's by definition, it's actually impossible to reverse diabetes with with those type of drugs, okay, unless you find enough different drugs that address the underlying mechanisms of the disease. But the problem is, as you well know, every single study that's ever been done on, on diabetics show that those diabetics who go, go on the oral medications for diabetes actually die prematurely right. compared to those who choose dietary approaches. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, uh, it's kind of a, a scary thing that the more you treat diabetes pharmacologically, the more premature death and disability you experience. I, I was even reading a study a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'd heard this in the past, and finally I decided to look it up. But, you know, of course, when we put, start patients on insulin, they frequently will gain weight. Right. But the study was basically stating that insulin not only causes weight gain, but also increases cancer risk. And because insulin is a growth factor by thirty to fifty percent, right? And, and, yeah. and we don't, and generally yeah. we don't tell patients that. Hey, let's start you on some insulin. By the way, we're going to increase your risk for cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting about those studies? I remember when some of these studies first came out. It, it really it was published in, Di in the journal Diabetes Care, which is mm -hmm. arguably the number one journal for diabetes medicine in the world. Right. And, and it, it, it took uh, diabetologists by storm because they're going like, no, this can't be true. You know, that, the study was only a two-year study. Yes, that's the point. A two-year study, huge study, showed that within just two years, you have a 30 to 50% increased risk of cancer if you're using insulin. Or if you've been on insulin for 15 years, your risk of having <clears throat> cancer is much higher than those who've been on it for a lot less time. The bottom line, as you pointed out, uh, Dr. Madrid, is that if, you, if you're using a growth hormone in excess, in other words, above and beyond what your body actually needs to control blood sugars, uh, but you're using it to, to take advantage of continuing an insulin-resistant lifestyle, that's gonna drive all the common cancers. Prostate cancer, big time breast cancer big time, colon cancer big time, skin cancer big time, uterine cancer. I mean, all the major cancers uh, that we're concerned about in a primary care setting uh, are increased by, by using insulin in excess. Well, let me be clear, that doesn't mean if you're using a little bit of insulin as a type one diabetic, or if you're really sick and you need some insulin to control your blood sugars, that that's gonna be bad for you. No, it's just, it's just, we need to treat the cause of the problem and treating the average patient with additional insulin isn't solving the problem. I, I think, yeah, so obviously for those who are on insulin, definitely do not stop insulin. This is right. not an invitation to say, I'm gonna stop taking insulin because I might get cancer 15 years from now because your blood sugar may go up to dangerous levels and you may die next week or next month if you, if you do that. You have to first have a better approach. Right. You know? And so um, I just recently, as I was preparing for this conference a couple of weeks ago in San Diego, 
the, the, the newest studies um, that are, are admitting that diabetes is reversible now. It, it, Ten years ago, there was like, no, 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 you, it, you're a quack if you say it's even possible. Now they're saying, okay, there's enough studies out there looking at intensive lifestyle intervention that, yes, people can reverse their diabetes even after many years. But a big study also published in Diabetes Care a few years ago looked at a general population, about 130,000 people within a health system. They had multiple ethnicities in the group. Uh, and then they said, so what's the likelihood of these people who are diagnosed with diabetes to reverse their diabetes? Hmm. The likelihood is like around 1%. Okay, and then if, if the likelihood of actually reversing diabetes for a full five-year period, kind of using the oncology cancer standard of five-year remission, right, right of, a, of a condition, uh, and so that where you not only don't have diabetes anymore, but you don't even have pre-diabetes anymore, that likelihood is less than 0.007. In other words, it's seven out of 100,000 patients uh, that are able to reverse diabetes in that way. So the message of that study was, it's not worth trying to help people reverse their diabetes. And if you're a patient, forget it. If you're a doctor, stop, don't even mention it. Okay. But in my, in my recent uh, group, the last group that I ran uh, on the internet for a kind of an online intensive, you know, high, uh, high connection where we're talking to these patients on a regular basis, on a daily basis if needed to help them figure out what to do over a four month period, 76% of the diabetics that had been diabetics for decades Okay. They have failed every other program and they're like now desperate and they're getting into a program that is high level, you know, high, really a lot of professionals helping them. 76% of them reversed their diabetes in that four, year, four month period. And these are people with hemoglobin A1Cs of 9, 10, 11. Right. We're not talking about new diabetics. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then the study says, you know, don't, you know, it's so minimal and it, the likelihood of them reversing it is so minuscule. There's no point of even trying. Therefore, nobody tries and therefore it doesn't happen. But you bring up a great point. I had literally two patients in the last two days. One was a 49 year old who six months ago came in my office, uh, very thirsty, urinating a lot. He was about 30 pounds overweight. We did a, a finger stick on him. His blood sugar was 315. Yeah. Uh, we sent him to go get some labs done. His hemoglobin A1C, which is a three-month average, was 12.8. Mm, wow. Okay. So his average blood sugar was running somewhere in the mid-300s based on that hemoglobin of uh, A1C yeah. of 12.8. Now, guidelines would have said, hey, start insulin on this guy. Start him on medications, which, which I did start him on some metformin, but it was a low dose. Mm -hmm. And I basically told the guy, you have a decision to make. You keep doing the same thing you're doing. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to start you on a medicine. It will work for a while. Then we'll have to add a second one, then a third one. Then we'll add insulin, then your kidneys and all these other complications. Or you can start making some dietary and lifestyle changes. And we'll start you on a low dose of this medicine called metformin. Make some diet and lifestyle changes and come back and see me You know, in, in three months. What would you like to do? And he says, I'm only 48. I want to lose the weight. And I said, fine. So he came back and saw me just the other day. His A1C was down to 6.3. 
Yeah, so not diabetic anymore. Yeah, not diabetic. Yeah. He's still on the metformin, and we basically set the goal if he dropped probably 15 more pounds, which he's motivated to do, because I think he's down to 17 pounds now. He drops 15 more pounds, and he'll get off the metformin, and we expect his A1C to be down in the fives. And he will officially be non-diabetic. Officially a non-diabetic, yeah. and, and I very clearly told him, however, if you gain the weight back and right. you start going back, right. it's, you know, it's going to be short-lived, and you will be mm-hmm. diabetic once again. Mm-hmm. And I even had a 70-year-old the other day. 70. This guy's been on insulin for at least 10 years. He was on uh, a combined total of 60 units of insulin a day, and he changed his diet, eliminated uh, sugars and carbohydrates, Within a week, he was off all his insulin, yeah. and he's down 25 pounds. Awesome. And now we're working to get him off the rest of his medicine. So, so again, the fact that I've seen just two this week, you've seen it hundreds of times, yeah. tells us that it's a lot more prevalent than people would, would, would allow us to believe. Now, one of the things, too, so, so this talk, we, we're going to transition here into Alzheimer's disease and dementia. But there's a big connection between diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. On the surface, it sounds like there's, there are two separate problems that have no connection whatsoever. So those with diabetes, and whether you're taking medications or not, if there's even a, you know, if there's, obviously there's many good reasons to get your diabetes under control. Obviously, so you don't have kidney disease, you don't go blind, you don't have heart attacks <laughs> yeah. and strokes. Yeah. Right? But for some people, that's not enough. Right. That doesn't right. scare people. Right. But I've noticed over We're very the, complacent about diabetes now. Well, whatever. Everybody's got diabetes. Right. You know, everybody's got to die something. Right. Exactly. But so you don't want to die with <laughs> Alzheimer's, man, because that takes 10, 20 years. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I've noticed when I, when I try to warn people and I say, look, you have diabetes. You're going to have a heart attack and a stroke. They're like, whatever, I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, there's doctors can fix my heart, you know, they can fix my brain, you know, to a degree. Uh, but when I tell them that diabetes is a risk factor for Alzheimer's, all of a sudden, what can I do, doctor, to, to prevent this? How do I reverse my diabetes? Can, so can you discuss the connection between, Alzheimer, uh, between diabetes and Alzheimer's disease and some of the excellent research that's coming out of UCLA and how we may actually be able to now reverse Alzheimer's right. disease, which again sounds just as crazy as reversing diabetes did 10 years ago. Right, right. Yeah, that, no, it's very exciting. Well, it, it was actually as early as 1995 when uh, Dr. Suzanne de Lamont from Brown University, who is, a, who is a neuropathologist there, was doing autopsies on, <laughs> on uh, individuals who had passed away from Alzheimer's and discovered something phenomenal. It was, she was the first to recognize that that the brain tissue, the neurons of, uh, of individuals with Alzheimer's are very resistant to insulin. And so uh, the, in diabetes, for instance, and in prediabetes, people's livers and muscles are really resistant to the effect of insulin, which is the ability of insulin to stimulate the storage of glucose it, from the blood into the cell. So that's why, so if your blood sugars stay high, that means it's not getting into the cell where it needs to be. And by definition, that's an insulin resistant syndrome. So it's, it's that syndrome that then requires the pancreas to make all this excess insulin uh, to try to compensate for that resistance that then leads to all kinds of metabolic problems, the weight gain, the polycystic ovarian syndrome, the headaches, the hypertension, the cardiovascular disease, the kidney dysfunction. I mean, you could pretty much say that almost every chronic disease has at its core, at least in part, an insulin resistant scenario where you have 
uh, blood sugar problems that are moderated by excess insulin production. Even so, skin tags too, right? Even skin yeah. tags. Yeah. So for those listening, if you have a skin tag on your neck, under your arm, that's actually a sign of insulin resistance, you know, pre-diabetes. Yeah. And, and if you've not been checked, you need to make Especially sure Especially if checked. it's a dark velvety type skin tag or patch, that's the acanthosis nigricans, which is, which is a, a genetic clue that you're insulin resistant and that if you don't reverse that insulin resistance through natural means, you're you're at risk pretty much for everything that you're genetically predisposed to. And I've seen these skin tags and the this the skin color changes commonly on the neck where it gets really dark, people think it's dirt and they're trying to rub it off and they yeah. can't. I mean these this can predate being diagnosed with diabetes oh, by a decade. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other thing is that you don't have to be diabetic or even pre diabetic to have insulin resistance. Insulin resistance, I think about 80, 90% of the US public has some level of insulin resistance. Uh, and then when you get to the pre-diabetic mode, by that point, well, one out of two of us between 40 and 59 years of age have at least pre-diabetes. 90% of us don't know it right. because we're not being properly worked up for that uh, at, the, at the medical office. So it, about two thirds of us a little bit older than that have prediabetes and if you're over 75, three fourths of us. So in other words, we are all at risk and if we're not, we're in a distinct minority of healthier people. Right, right. Yeah. So, so, so Dr. <laughs> Suzanne de Lamont discovered this insulin resistance and she actually coined the phrase insulin resistance of the brain. Okay, and which later uh, morphed into type 3 diabetes. So type 3 diabetes is essentially Alzheimer's. Okay? And so what, what's really interesting is that as I started looking at these, uh, the, the, this uh, inter, interaction, if you will, uh, physiologically between Alzheimer's and diabetes, what's really interesting, you could, you could equally say that Type 2 diabetes is actually Alzheimer's of the pancreas. Mm. Okay, so there's many studies now documenting that as, as, as the pancreas goes through its dysfunction and it starts losing the ability to produce optimal levels of insulin, the beta cells in the pancreas are actually being destroyed. What is destroying them? It's actually a substance that is being produced by the pancreas, which is an amyloid product of the beta cells, okay? And so it's the same pathological features that you see in Alzheimer's where the brain itself, the glial cells of the brain, are producing beta amyloid plaques uh, that ultimately are being thought of as these are the main causes of Alzheimer's. Like scar tissue of the brain. But, but in fact, this, this, this uh, product that's being produced is being produced on purpose in a, in a technically healthy response. In the brain, beta amyloid is actually the primary antimicrobial peptide. Mm -hmm. It is the innate immune system that the brain has to fight uh, viruses, mm -hmm. microbes, parasites, toxins, etc. That's how the body protects itself against pathogens. So that was so, a recent study regarding herpes virus being a, yeah. a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and that's even the herpes uh, simplex one, you know, the most common, more than half of Americans carry it. 
Uh, but if you have that and you have the ApoE4 uh, mutation, gene mutation associated with Alzheimer's, you have an exponentially greater risk because it's the, the, the low-grade infection trigger of inflammation that then activates this extraordinary production of beta amyloid that the body can't clear out the immune system, the lymphatic system of the brain can't clear out properly, and then you're getting the plaques and the tau tangles and so forth. So, so there's a lot of patients who, who think and believe and, and, and are fearful because they may have had a parent with Alzheimer's disease, a grandparent, so therefore they believe that it's genetic and they believe that they're destined to, to get Alzheimer's disease and they have absolutely nothing they can do about it. Um, what percentage of Alzheimer's disease do you think is actually genetic and how much of it is? Okay, so, so there's different ways to discuss this. Um, I have always said that every disease wouldn't happen unless it was genetic. You know, unless you have genes that allow it to happen, it's not going to happen. But what you're referring to is, is you know, what, what percentage of a disease is purely genetic. In other words, in genetics, it's called penetrance. If something is fully penetrant, that means no matter what you do, it's going to happen because the gene is so dominant that it's going to force this to happen no matter what you do. Well, we're finding that fewer and fewer things that we thought were fully penetrant are actually fully penetrant. Uh, remember the, the, the Dr. Crick of, of, uh, of the, the famous geneticist who, who you know, discovered the, the double helix, the right. double DNA helix. He ended up having an entire genomic sequence done some years, some many years ago. But he, he did it only on one condition. He says, the, the, the one condition, he says, I do not want to know what my ApoE gene is. And the ApoE uh, gene is, uh, if you have the, the four version, the four allele of the ApoE gene, that means you have the Alzheimer's variant. If you have one variant, that increases the risk compared to no variants of the ApoE4 uh, by 500%. Wow. Okay, so genetically speaking, and from a relative risk standpoint, that's, you know, that's, that's a huge increased risk. If you have two of the ApoE4 gene uh, mutations, one from each parent, then your risk on average goes up to 1,200%. So it's, it's a phenomenally increased risk. So you can see why Dr. Crick back, back in the 70s and 80s was saying, no, I don't wanna know if I have that gene because there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that was when we used to think it was a fully penetrant gene, but it's not. In fact, the vast majority, probably 99% of that effect is, is neutralizable is modifiable by addressing what we call our exposome. And our exposome is everything we're exposed to. All, all the things that we're exposed to in our environment, everything that we're exposed to by choice, the food we eat, the, the, what we drink, what we do, what we think, okay? Uh, the music that we listen, are we experiencing joy? Are we experiencing spiritual peace? Are we experiencing forgiveness? Are we experiencing happiness? Are we stressed out all the time? Are we consuming things that are clearly toxic based on all the studies we've already been right. given? Sure. Um, those, that's our exposome. And so our exposome mm -hmm. determines whether those genes are expressed 
or whether they're shut down. So you literally can turn off bad genes and you can turn on the good genes, which which the whole, your whole program, your whole podcast is all right. about, you know, uh, he, heal yourself. Right. Okay? And you can heal yourself because that's how God j- created us is mm-hmm. to stimulate, uh, is to allow the decisions that we make to, to stimulate self-healing based on the choices that we make. And right. so I've spent the better part of the last two years um, clinically helping people understand what aspects of their exposome are influencing their genetic expression. Okay, so number one, I, the number one thing I recommend is get your entire genome, uh, like just a simple sequencing uh, in terms of the 23andMe.com. You know, right. for for 99 bucks, right. you can you can you can get your 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 uh, all the you know thousands of genes measured. Which normally costs about two hundred bucks per gene, wow. right? You can get it all for a hundred bucks or so, and uh, and that will tell you what your ApoE4 status is, along with many other genes that that help us determine how to fix those biochemical pathways that are are now known to be dysfunctional because of the genetic information that we we found. And I'll put that link in the description as well. Yeah, I did the twenty three and Me. Uh, a few years ago, and um, and I'm glad that I knew something about this, ep, you know, epigenetics and how we could make a difference. And you know, just because we had something, did not mean that we were going to get it. For example, it showed when I did it, it said I had a 20% increased risk of for prostate cancer. Uh, you know, but because I knew this information and I knew that you know diet and lifestyle and just you know, if I was a uh, fatalist and thought like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, if I spend every day thinking that I'm going to die of prostate cancer, I probably would. But, but because <laughs> yeah. I knew this information, I'm like, okay, I, I don't, you know, I don't drink uh, dairy, at, you know, which is a risk factor for, right. you know, for prostate cancer. Right. Um, I've got my body mass index down. You know, I, yeah. I, I eat a lot more plant-based foods and vegetables and fruits. So I, I felt like I was protecting myself. But again, I know there's a lot of people out there who think, this has, oh, I'm going to definitely have this, and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it, so why even try? And, yeah. and that, that's a scary thing. So, so, and so here's, so that's a great example. And by the way, the, the prostate cancer risk factors are very similar to the same risk factors for diabetes and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody, when in, the first things I suggest is somebody who has a prostate cancer risk or, or even just prostate issues of any kind, is number one is we gotta we gotta resolve insulin resistance. So insulin resistance. In fact, the same uh, 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 the same doctor at UCLA who years ago worked with the Pritikin Center, showing that that you can reverse insulin resistance really quick within two to three weeks of just exercising daily and and being on a healthy plant preferred diet. Right. right? Um, so so the, he showed that it's insulin resistance that drives prostate cancer. Interesting. Okay. And so if you reverse the insulin resistance, especially early on, you're essentially reversing that inflammatory process that, that stimulates irritation to the prostate gland, causes hyperplasia, and then potentially stimulates cancer. So so that's one. This number two is vitamin D. And of course, right. you know, Dr. Madrid, you're the expert in vitamin D, right? right? So uh, there's, there's whole books that have been written between the connection of vitamin D and prostate cancer. Right. Just, just I, literally whole books, and it was fascinating. I read one of those books; is is amazing. And there's so much data that supports if you optimize your vitamin D levels, your risk for prostate cancer drops dramatically. 
Um, and uh, so, so those, those are, and then exposure to toxins in the environment, that's important as well. So I, so when, when patients come to me and say, you know what, I'm so stressed out, I do not want to know if I have the ApoE4 gene, the Alzheimer's gene, because it's, it's just too terrible to know. I said, okay. I said, so let me just tell you, give you a little story. So let's just, let's just, let's just pretend that in most, most of my patients who are talking about cognition concerns either have adult children or they have grandchildren, right? Mm -hmm. And so I said, you have grandchildren? And they go, yeah, yeah, I got five grandkids. I said, so let's, let's just say you have 100, an acre, 100 acres behind your property where your grandkids can come over and they can just play and it's all your property so they can just do whatever they want, just have a great time. They're the way it used to be, right? Nice. Um, would you want to know that there's a, that there's a mine shaft in, in your 100-acre wood that drops 1,000 feet right. where one of your grandkids could fall and be lost forever? Absolutely. Would you want to know that? Or would that just be too terrible to know? Right. Absolutely. Show me where they, that might They is. immediately get the point. So, so show me right away where that mine shaft is. And I will have a contractor in within an hour to make sure that never will any of my family members or their friends ever fall in that mine shaft. Okay, and so it's 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 a decision by it's acting on mm -hmm. what the risk is and fixing it. And so that's that's the key in in lifestyle and functional medicine is that we believe if we study this enough, we can fix the majority of the problems. Now, there's a lot of things we don't know. There always will be right. in medicine many things we don't know. But if if we pay attention to the things we can know and study them broadly, we get to a tipping point by treating each of the abnormalities or the less than optimals, so we call them, and optimizing as many things broadly as possible. Pretty soon you get to this synergistic tipping point where the body starts healing even though you haven't even picked up the 10 or 12 other things that you're never gonna know about because we just don't have good enough science yet to pick that up, but the body's healing those anyways because now it's robust enough to do that. Right. So that's the, that's the, uh, the philosophical basis for uh, what we call programmatics. Rather than looking, waiting for monotherapeutic strategies, we're waiting for that one silver bullet medication that's going to come out any day now that's going to cure diabetes or Alzheimer's. That will never, ever happen. I guarantee it. Because there's just too many mechanisms dysfunctional in all those conditions. You can't treat it with one thing. You have to treat it with 30 things, and they should be ideally natural processes. It seems like medicine is going through a paradigm shift because, it, it, you know, obviously when Alexander Fleming discovered uh, penicillin and its ability to kill bacteria, that kind of got healthcare professionals and the establishment and doctors thinking that in the magic bullet theory, in the sense that right. I'm sick, I have pneumonia, there's one pill, it's going to fix me, I'm going to live happily ever after. conscious postulate. You know, right. you know, one treatment for one disease. Right. And, and we, <laughs> so we've been going down that paradigm for, for the last you know, 80 years. And so we're still, like you said, looking for that one pill that's going to cure cancer, that one pill that's going to cure Alzheimer's disease. And, yeah. and we're really just bark, you know, barking up the wrong tree, as they say. And, and I think there's a paradigm shift now that we realize 
that we have to take a multifaceted, a holistic approach. And when you really understand the, the, the ludicrousness of a one pill approach, mm-hmm. it, it's absolutely insane. Like to think that there's some magic compound out there that someone is going to happen to make in a lab and that's going to cure all the cancer in the world. We just need more money. We just need a billion more dollars or 10 billion more dollars. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I always say you have all these walks, which, you know, I don't want to demean the walks. I think it's important. Community is important and, the, you know, feeling, you know, connection and understanding that there's other people out there. But I think the, the most helpful part of a walk when it comes to preventing cancer is actually the walk. It's yeah, not all the yeah, money yeah, that's exactly, being raised. Exactly. You know, it's the walk for Alzheimer's. It's that walk that's going to do more to prevent Alzheimer's than all the money that's raised because it's the exercise that right. helps prevent this disease and stuff. So I think... You know, speaking of exercise, bye. Yeah. Um, there's, there was a great study uh, published just two mm-hmm. years ago uh, on twin women. And there was 324 twin pairs, women who were now elderly, were enrolled in this study and uh, what they did was they measured the strength and the size of the thigh muscle, the quadriceps. Okay. Okay, that's, that, was, that was the study. And they, what they found was fascinating. They found that the women who, the twin, uh, who therefore genetics could not be involved right. in this in, in the determining genes. factor. And so they had identical genes. Uh, the twin who had the, the largest thigh muscle in other words, the twin who actually exercised more uh, and did, did some type of exercise that actually stimulated an appropriate growth of the thigh muscle was, was not only stronger physically, but was stronger mentally and, and also had a larger brain. In other words, the, and, and I've actually known this for quite some time, the, num, the, the, the earliest indicator of cognitive decline, of early Alzheimer's, is not, you know, forgetting words, forgetting names, uh, you know, things like that. It actually is weak muscles. Hmm. It's sarcopenia. It's this, it's, uh, if if you start, if you're not working out, you are, that's probably one of the top risk factors for premature cognitive decline, for premature forms of dementia in general. And, and so when, as I work with my patient, of course, I, you know, I have a very comprehensive protocol that I've learned to implement that literally can take three to four months to implement with patients. Uh, but once they get that going, I mean, you're seeing miracles happen with these couples who their, their spouse hasn't talked to them in three years and now having full on conversations with them. I mean, stuff that's not supposed to happen. Right. You know, and so I was I was recently asked by well-known, uh, well, actually, it's Dr. Scherzer at Loma Linda University, who, who's mm-hmm. he's he's published a, a wonderful <clears throat> book called uh, uh, it's, it's the Alzheimer's Solution. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Uh, but he asked me, he says, he says, you're not actually telling patients that they can reverse their Alzheimer's, are you? I said, well, define Alzheimer's. Right. Okay, you tell me what, what, how do you define Alzheimer's? Right. And I'll tell you whether, it's, whether we're reversing it or not. And said so that in, in the end, we agreed that the bottom line is functionality. Is somebody improving their function of daily living or not? And so if you go from a place where they can't get ready for bed, they're just standing there not knowing what to do. They have to be led to do everything. Uh, they can't, 
They can't use the toilet by themselves without help. They can't eat without help. They can't dress without help. And they go to the point where that's, they don't need that help anymore. Is that reversing Alzheimer's? Right, yeah. Well, it, what it is is reversing the dysfunction of Alzheimer's. I don't care what you call it. They, all that matters is people are getting better. Right. That's, it doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah. It really doesn't because it's all about function. Right, it's all about being able to live and to interact uh, I had a patient just tell me last week, he says, for three years, my wife hasn't had any emotion, okay, other than sundowner syndrome, okay, and sundowner syndrome in Alzheimer's uh, is where about, about four or five o'clock in the, in the early evening, they, they start getting agitated and they start reverting back to many, many years before, and in this one patient, she wanted to go back to be with her mother who'd been dead for over 30 years. Right. And so that's all she could talk about is going back to be with the mother. She'd go back in her room and pack all her clothes and, 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 and come back and say, honey, why aren't you helping me? You know, you need to, I need to pack, I need to leave, I need to go see my mother. And, and, uh, and, and this would go on for four hours until they'd finally exhaustedly put her, put her to bed. And then in the morning, he'd have to spend hours you know, unpacking. And, and can you imagine living right. that way for three years? Yeah. Every evening every evening and this is a patient i started working with in late july of this year so that was three months ago okay after two months that wasn't happening anymore amazing okay now you know everybody's different right okay i'm not saying everybody with sundowner syndrome is going to get rid of it in two months it may take a year and it, it, it may just improve right but but it's just an he, he said to me he says i finally have my wife back She's actually laughing at my jokes now. She used to just stare at me and not say anything. You know, it was just like no affect. And it right? wasn't a pharmaceutical yeah. pill that no, business, right? No, no. And, and, you know, the, the irony of it is that as I, because I spend an hour with every patient every time. Right. Okay. And so as we were talking, he said, you know, uh, I was asking, well, what medicines is she on? And she says, uh, they tried Aricept, which is, uh, it's actually a good medicine that helps limit some of the symptoms, but it doesn't change the course of the disease at right, all. Right. Uh, but she couldn't handle it. It really messed her up. So they stopped that. This was four years ago. They stopped that immediately. And so the, the, doc, the neurologist says, well, let's put you on the Minda. Okay. And, uh, and so she handled that okay. So she was using the Minda. But... But now that she's improved in so many ways, she's dressing herself, she's preparing for bed by herself, she's, she's interacting, uh, instead of being in bed all day long on her own, she's now interacting and communicating and talking with family members. She's, she's, she's commenting on the TV, whereas before it was just sound. Now she's laughing at the jokes. She's going like, oh, no, that's wrong. Or, you know, she's commenting about what's happening in her world. Right. And, and she says, I have my wife back. She, she's, she's emotional now. She, she can cry. She can laugh. Whereas before it was just nothing. Right. And, and so can you imagine going from for three years of having somebody where there's, there's no relationship connection anymore from what you used to have? And now it's like. Well, my, like my wife is back from the dead, or worse, she's right. back from being yeah. in a in a vegetative state. And especially too, because a lot yeah. of these patients with Alzheimer's, physically they're in good shape, but mentally they're not. So yeah. she could have, you know, she could live right. another ten years easy, like that. Easy. In fact, she 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 probably would because she's only in her 
you know, like she's only 70. Right, sure. Yeah, so she, she could easily live another 10 years in, in, in a vegetative state. And it would be just so, so challenging to the entire family, not just the husband. Right. Well, so the point on the medication, um, she's been having hallucinations, hmm. which is really odd considering she's getting better with everything else. I'm right? in the okay, Yes. Yeah. And... Um, and where she actually will be talking to people in the room that are not in the room. She sees them, you know, they're there, right. you know, and, and uh, you know, like oftentimes Parkinson's medications cause hallucinations and so forth. So, um, so the, there's actually studies, case studies that have been published showing that Naminda can cause that. And so, and so I was able to, to explain to the husband, I said, you know what, the next in next week when you're talking to your doctor, let's, let's, let's discuss maybe she doesn't need the Namenda anymore. Right. I say maybe, I'm just being courteous, right? right. I mean, she, she clearly is so much better now. Sure. It's probably doing more harm than good for her, right. okay? Especially since she's having hallucinations. Now, at least we can evaluate if the hallucinations go away, then case solved, right? right? And so, so I'm looking forward to the next time we meet in a couple of weeks to go over that as well. Sure, sure. Now, so there's, you know, so you you research or you've done a lot of research with Dr. Bredesen, right. Bredesen at right. UCLA, mm-hmm. and um, and so I want to hear about that. But before we go there, let me ask, what are some of the top five things or ten things first that one can do? You know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or even 60s to prevent their risk for Alzheimer's disease. And then after that, we'll discuss for someone who might have been diagnosed with it already, what steps can they take to reverse it or at least reduce the symptoms and get them to a point where they're functional. So how can you prevent it? First of all, the top top professors of neurology around the world, Dr. Dr. Tanzi from uh, Harvard University, he, he's, he's, he's documenting that the Alzheimer's process is documentable up to 50 years before it's diagnosed. Wow. Okay, in other words, we're getting better and better and better at, at establishing this, this pathophysiologic process that's occurring as early as the 20s. So in other words, everything, our exposome, even as teenagers and, and, and young adults, has a powerful effect on the pathophysiology that builds up. It's just a gradual buildup of, of, of toxicity, if you will, that, that then will eventually r- r- kill enough brain cells that your reserve is gone. And so that's really what's happening. You know, the, the whole term senility, we used to just think of from a from a, a psychiatric standpoint. Right. But senility just simply means one thing, loss of cells of that organ in question. You can get senility to any organ just because you're not using it properly or because it's being abused by too much exposure to toxins and not enough exposure to the nutrients that are necessary for healing of that organ system. So. So this boils down to, so the, the, the strategies boil down to two key categories. Mm-hmm. Number one is you need to make sure that you don't have any deficiencies. Okay. And you can guarantee that everybody has deficiencies. A nutritional deficiency. Yes. Everybody has nutritional deficiencies, 
How are you going to know? The only right. way you're going to know is by testing. Right. Okay. And and so that's why doing broad tests to look at that, you go like, I would have never guessed that I was magnesium deficient. You know, because I eat I eat beans every day. I eat right. you know I eat clean. I eat whole grains, uh, uh, even though I don't eat lots of grains because I'm trying to control that. But so I get a lot more magnesium in my diet than the average person. Sure. I'm low on magnesium every time I test it. Right. Okay. So for me. It's a it's 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 a no brainer <laughs> mm-hmm. that that I use magnesium every day. Okay, remember when um, Carrie Fisher, right, right, mother and daughter died just a couple of days right. from each yeah. other Princess from cardiovascular Leia. disease, yeah. and, and and we were kind of all shocked. It was a sad story right. of how this happened. Well, the, the the past chief editor of the Journal of American Medical Association wrote an editorial piece in Medscape, a very conservative mm-hmm. pro-big pro pharma uh, right. uh, internet uh, journal, medical right. journal. And, and the key editorial was the real cause of their death. Hmm. And you know what he said? It was well, magnesium deficiency. Is that right? I was shocked that that was, he was, he had so much status that they just let him do it. Right. If it had been you or me, we right. would have been, we would have been fired right. for, for, for suggesting that the main cause of heart disease yeah. is magnesium deficiency. Right. But we've known that since the forties, right. it's just, it's just, you never, you never hear about it in a clinical practice because sure. nobody's making any money on on, you know, pushing magnesium, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so, but but mag- optimizing magnesium it should be part of every single protocol with chronic disease, cardiovascular risk, high cholesterol. Harvard studies showed thirty years ago that even teenagers with high cholesterol would would normally have fatty streaks developing as teenagers. You could see like a piece of cheese melted mm. into the artery wall, mm. but. But if they had optimal magnesium levels, even with high cholesterol, no fatty streaks. So magnesium is critical for cardiovascular health, but it's also critical for neurologic health. So that's just one of maybe hundreds of examples of right. make sure you're not deficient in nutrients. And, and a lot of people yeah. will be deficient, for example, just in magnesium, to go back to that, if you're on a proton pump inhibitor or an acid reducer. Big time. Uh, which may be Guaranteed. One, yeah, which might be one of the reasons why those In fact, meds, you're going to be deficient in almost yeah. everything if you're right. on one of those. That is true, yeah. B12, <laughs> magnesium, uh, people who are on blood pressure, diuretic blood pressure pills yeah. as well. So again, you know, if you're on those, don't stop them, but you know, talk to your doctor, see what you can do, and uh, but definitely um, supplement with a magnesium, uh, a chelated magnesium supplement. Absolutely. And also, uh, there's actually several studies that have come out in the last, in the last two years showing that if you're on a proton pump inhibitor, you know, that basically the acid reducers, that, that, that will reduce the release of hydrochloric acid from your stomach cells by up to 90%, that increases your risk for Alzheimer's wow. pretty dramatically. Well, it, but I believe it increases your risk for everything. Sure. Okay, so anything that decreases uh, absorption of nutrients into your body from your diet is going to compromise whatever you're at risk for. Right. Whatever. Right. So, so I mean, we know it, it increases hypertension. We know it increases uh, uh, bone uh, osteoporosis issues. We know it increases uh, uh, kidney disease, chronic kidney disease, and, and Alzheimer's, right. heart disease. So, so um, optimizing nutrition yeah. is extremely important. So, that's number one. Right. Okay. Number two is minimizing your exposure to toxins. And doing what is necessary to to detoxify if necessary. Okay, so those are the two pillars. 
right? Um, and of course, and now when I say toxins, I'm thinking of it in the broadest sense of the word. Infectious organisms essentially are toxic because what? They release toxins into the body. Right. That's why they're bad for us, right? right. Um, so so uh, I, I, in May of this year, I, I, I published a paper in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine uh, talking about the Bredesen Protocol, talking about how to help people reverse cognitive issues within Alzheimer's or, or mild cognitive impairment concerns. And uh, along with discussing it in general, I, I, I presented a case study of a patient I started working with a year and a half ago. He was actually from Houston. He's, he is from Houston, Texas. And uh, he and his wife flew out to San Diego to spend four days with me in an intensive program that I was running. Uh, and now I just I had that professionally videotaped. So now I just have that on Vimeo and I just say, hey, instead of spending 5,000 bucks, I'm coming all the way out and, you know, for a week at a hotel. Just just watch watch the 15 hours of lectures online and integrate it with consultations with your doctor or whoever you're working with. Uh, so, so, so that's what they did. They, 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 they've been doing everything possible for a year and a half. The first, he had been a manager of a government toxic cleanup site. Wow. Okay, actually multiple cleanup <laughs> sites for, for, for a long time. He, he, I mean, they were cleaning up mercury uh, exposure sites. They were, I mean, he would come home smelling of toxins. Even, even wearing his protective garb, he was, still, he was just right. exuding toxins when he'd get home. Well, uh, after so many years of doing that, he, he, he started not being able to do his paperwork. You know, his, the, the executive function of just filling out the paperwork and figuring out, writing reports and so forth. He just couldn't do it anymore. He just couldn't figure it out. And so he had to resign. And, uh, and it was soon thereafter that at the age of 49, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Wow. 49, okay? And, uh, and he didn't even have the <coughs> APOE4 gene, okay? So what's interesting here is this is what's called type 3 Alzheimer's within the metabolic assessment of what are the drivers of Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. which is toxicity, so there's many different forms of toxicity. There's biotoxins that can come from mold, that can come from sinus infections, from, from H. pylori infections, from fungal infections that are not properly eradicated from either the environment that you live in uh, or, or, the, or your body's environment. So, so there's biotoxins and then there's, or there, there's heavy metal toxins, like mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic, et cetera. That, that can build up in certain people who don't, aren't good excretors. They're not good at getting rid of or detoxifying these toxins. And, and so, so there's all kinds of different toxins that can influence this process. Well, anyways, he, he had horrible Alzheimer's. So when I first met with him, he couldn't even score one point on the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. Wow. So out of 30, you know, th this is, you know, like what day is it? You right. know, uh, where are we? Yeah. Uh, you know, can you draw a clock? Can right. you here? Here's three animals. Can you name them? You know, it's an obvious, obvious rhinoceros, an obvious camel, an obvious right. lion. No, nope, I can't do it. Wow. Uh, here, here are five, five words that I want you to remember five minutes later. Gone. He was 49. Right. He should have been in the prime of so, his life. So he, yeah. So so, and and his wife was a was a teacher. 
um, is a teacher and she was like I'm gonna have to retire early because I you know I have to it's like having a three-year-old right you know, it's, it, you know if 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 uh, she wasn't watching them while they were at a grocery store he'd get lost right and she, she had to watch him like a hawk so well with um, within a month of following the protocol which is the and we can get into the protocol in a second right. within a month uh, of doing that, he he had previously been unable to use a microwave even with instructions. So here's a teacher saying, "Okay, honey, I have a lunch fix for you. All you got to do is put it in the microwave, you know, and 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 microwave it for two minutes, and and there's your lunch, right? Sure. And so all the instructions with the, the steps are right there. So he'd go to the microwave and go like, "You can figure it out. You can figure it out." After one month he was able to use the microwave without instructions. It was just all of a sudden his brain just started working again. Sure. Okay. And so can you imagine how his wife felt? Right. So she's like, I'm going to have to retire. We're going to, you know, we're going to lose a significant income. And, and, you know, plus, plus he, I'm starting, we're starting to lose the relationship because he's not responding to me like he used to. And his lifespan is still affectionate. probably 25 years because yeah. he's oh. only 49, so oh, yeah. he could easily live to be 70, Yeah, and he was super fit, you know, t- typical Texas dude, you right. know, cowboy hat, <laughs> cowboy boots. And, and uh, anyways, um, also within that same month, he had been unable to, by the way, he had been unable to use the microwave for three years. Wow. Okay. He'd also been unable to cook or grill. So, you know, in Texas, right. you know, if you can't grill, you're not really a Texan, that's right? True, and so he would get frustrated because he used to, you know, be great at grilling. And when friends were over and stuff, and, and he burned everything. And so he did, and he'd get all flustered and embarrassed, and, you know, it was just a mess. So after a month, he could grill without making one mistake. It's, it's an executive function. Right. So this idea that the progression of Alzheimer's is is uh, non-modifiable, that it's it's a course, that it's a tsunami that you can't stop, is is just simply not true because it's somebody saying, I don't want to even ask the right questions. I'm just telling you that it can't be fixed. I'm saying there's no cure, and, and if a patient believes them, then they, they go home not trying anything. Why? Because the doctor right. says you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Right? And so, but, so you can't steal hope. Be very careful what you say to patients if you don't really know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> because uh, usually when people say there's no hope, that means I don't know enough to give you hope. True. Okay? Well, then send them to somebody that can give them hope. Okay? And because I've seen probably in the last two years about 150 patients that are at some phase of this program and and almost all of them within a couple months are showing improvements which means this so there's three main goals I, and I, I tell them right at the beginning number one they say hey you know my husband is his short-term memory is bad and it's embarrassing to him I go okay so what's your, your goal is I, they want to reverse their short-term memory loss and I say okay just hold on a second so you need to understand something that's really not the most important goal. And they're going like, what do you mean that's not the more? That's, right. that's important to me. So I know it's important to you, but what you need to understand where this is headed. Okay, so if, if, if things continue the way they have for the last few years, within a, within a year, you could be here. And I should kind of show them. You could be at the point where 
you know, you're sitting on the toilet looking at the toilet paper and not knowing what to do with that toilet paper. Right. I know. I see this all the time with patients, sure. right? Yeah. And so, so they, they they have no idea that that's that's the path that they're headed towards unless they make changes. Right. Mm. It's like your diabetic patient. Sure. You know, I mean, unless they make changes they're going to go down this spiral right. and they're going to end up dying of some horrible complication. It's a predictable right? future unless yeah. you make some changes. So, so, um, so once they understand what the, the real goal is slowing down progression, which I, which I believe we've been able to accomplish in 100% of patients. Now, the, there are a couple of patients I have which are, which are progressing in their Alzheimer's. There's some that are really hardcore cases. Other right. young too, sure. young fifties, uh, and, and and we either we didn't catch it soon enough or we just haven't figured out a broad enough strategy. But they are not progressing like they had been before. Right. In other words, we have slowed down progression. Okay. So I believe everybody can do that. Right. Just like everybody can prevent. Okay. So number two goal is to stop progression. I believe we've been able to do that in about. 85, 90% of patients who, no matter how long they've had it, uh, we've been able to stop progression in, in various respects. Number one is stop the progression of what they're experiencing, the symptoms that they're experiencing, but also stop the progression into other categories that they don't even understand yet. Right. You know, the dysfunctional categories that they haven't got to yet. Um, and then number three goal is to reverse the dysfunctions of their cognitive decline. Okay, which which you could say it's a form of reversal. Right. You know, I mean, it is a form of reversal. Right. Uh, whether that's reversing Alzheimer's is is not the real question in my mind, sure. because we're we're improving people's health. That's right. our job that's, right. as doctors is to improve people's health. So 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 those are the goals of of uh, of patients when I first see them, and uh, once they understand that, it's just dramatic seeing the transformation. So, so, what, so what is required? I mean, I'm sure some of the people listening are like, okay, what do I need to do? Yeah. How can I, you know, and again, I think there's a lot of people we, unfortunately, in this culture, we're like, okay, what is the medicine called? What is the pill? Is it a, is there a magic vitamin that you're going to give me and I can keep doing everything that I'm doing and I'm going to get better? It doesn't work that way, right? Okay, the, so here, let's look at some broad categories. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, the, the, the program is divided up into kind of five major categories where number one, Inflammation. We need to assess levels of inflammation and aggressively treat inflammation, uh, which is easier said than done uh, because having inflammation doesn't necessarily tell us what's causing it. But the beauty of lifestyle medicine, uh, as you know, Dr. Madrid, is that, is that if you apply broad lifestyle medicine strategies, optimize sleep, optimize water intake, optimize nutrition, optimize exercise, optimize stress management, optimize exposure outside, fresh air, sunshine, etc. All those things are anti-inflammatory. Right. I mean, they're doing all kinds of other things too, sure. but they're ways to lower inflammation, uh, uh, optimize immune system and so forth. So number one is be very clear on, on broad assessment of inflammation through various uh, lab tests and then aggressively study how to, for that patient, in a personalized way, uh, it best to accomplish that. And, and you can immediately come up with a list of natural lifestyle medicine strategies, 
uh, natural supplements, uh, et cetera, that can calm inflammation until you better understand other triggers of inflammation, like a low-grade infection, like, like having a house that might be a, a multi-million dollar facility that's, that's, that's super clean, uh, but has a mold problem and you never knew it. Right. Yeah, and, and one out of two houses have a mold problem. Hmm. One out of two. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and people who are um, sensitive to mold biotoxins, and we can do HLA haplotype proteomic lab testing to determine who's actually super sensitive to biotoxins, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that gotta get serious about figuring out where that mold is and eradicating it or getting to a different place that doesn't have the mold problem. So, so that's one example, that, that's okay. a, a challenging example, right. uh, to say the least. But um, uh, other examples of anti-inflammatories are, you know, everybody should be on a, on a DHA, EPA supplement. Everybody. A fish oil. Yeah. Omega-3 like, fish either oil. Either a fish oil or, or a microalgae okay. oil. Flaxseed. You know, uh, they, they, that's, that's a natural anti-inflammatory that protects the brain as well. Right. Um, uh, other anti-inflammatories are using turmeric or curcumin. Um, uh, therapeutically, to we know that that actually helps re, remove old beta amyloid plaques from the brain, but it, it also lowers inflammation. It's a great anti-inflammatory. Uh, yeah, I was reading a study on that recently about the tumor re- reducing the beta amyloid, so basically reducing that which causes Alzheimer's disease. And the study went on to suggest that might be one reason why those in India yeah. have lower rates of Alzheimer's because they have a high intake of curry, which comes yes. from the word curcumin. That's right. The active ingredient in turmeric. And, and, and in India, ironically, the, they have a very high rate of APOE4 positive people in India. Hmm. And they don't have that higher rate of Alzheimer's. Right. Okay. So again, even if you have the yeah. gene, you're not destined to get Alzheimer's disease. You can, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so in other words, the body can handle a lot of abuse as long as you're giving it the right nutrients. Right. Yeah. How, and yeah. how about so? How about diet? We talked about diabetes earlier and, and type three diabetes. So obviously important to to uh, minimize uh, sugar, minimize foods that break into sugar, such as carbohydrates. Sugar is like one of the most important things to address. Um, I've had people decompensate within, within 10, 20 minutes of having a, a, a sugar-rich meal, mm-hmm. okay, or a carbohydrate, a refined carbohydrate, like a like pancake fest or right. whatever. Um, I've, I've seen people decompensate after eating a steak, right. okay, where, where they tell me, man, I had a steak and I just, it, it, it just my, my brain just stopped working. These are people that had like a idyllic memory that I just, that just decompensated. So, so you got to watch what you're eating. There's no question. And, and I would say, you know, if you, have, if you had to pick, it's hard to pick one thing because they're all important. It's like, you know, um, but the diet is critical. You got to get on a good diet. You got to eat a lot of plant-based uh, whole foods, a lot of non-starchy vegetables, a lot of colors, a lot of greens. There's tons of studies supporting that. And, and so that's the basis of a healthy diet. And then you want to eliminate your refined carbohydrates. You want to eliminate you know, the, the, the desserts. The, the number one driver of guaranteeing somebody's going to die with Alzheimer's is you put them in a retirement center that pumps them full of cake and ice cream twice a day. 
And that's what a lot of those places that's, do. That's, that's like there's no chance that they're going to get better. None at all. Okay, No matter what medicines they're on. Because you're just basically feeding them dementogenic food uh, pretty much at every meal. Right. So, 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 so diet is really critical. Uh, and we could talk for hours about diet. And the most important principles are you got to eat clean. You got to stop eating so many uh, so many refined carbohydrates, and even watch the overall carbohydrate intake. See, people say just because it's a whole food doesn't mean your body can handle it. So I guarantee you, if if you eat a whole bunch of of, uh, of starchy vegetables in one meal, and you have any level of insulin resistance, it's going to be toxic to your system. Okay. Now, some people, if they're they're you know running triathlons, right. you know, or they're working out and they're like ripped, right. they can they can eat all kinds of starchy vegetables, whole foods, and, and that's good for them. They need right. those calories, mm. but most people can't handle that because they're not putting in the time. Right. Right. So we gotta eat according to our fitness level, our metabolic level. Um, and just basically whole foods. You got to eat a lot more whole foods. That's the number one thing. What, what about, we talked about nutrients earlier, and I've read something about copper and zinc and the ratio to yep. copper and zinc. Can you touch upon that? Yeah. So we want the ratio of copper zinc to be close to one to one. So I always measure a serum copper and a serum zinc together, and then I compare the two. And so I just had, just this afternoon before coming in for this, I had a, had a patient who who had a, a copper-zinc ratio of 119 copper, 99 zinc. Now that's just, we want it to be at least within 20%. So that's just outside right. of that. And so I, in those cases, what we do is we give a little bit of like zinc citrate, 25 milligrams, mm-hmm. to bring their zinc level more comparable to the copper level so that that, that, that enhances the immune system, that helps lower inflammation, and uh, that's associated with improved cardiovascular health and in, improved, improved cognition. And, and then how, how about gut health as well? There's oh, a lot of talk about the microbiome. Yeah, right. Is this related to Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Dr. David Perlmutter has, has really popularized this notion of, of the micro of gut health being imperative to brain health. So, so it's, it's the gut that determines what up to 80% of what your immune system does. You right. know, the gut-associated lymphatic system is all right there in the digestive tract. And so having, having the right, uh, eating the right foods, again, is the first step to improving your microbiome with prebiotics and probiotics. Uh, and then the other big part is probably the most underutilized nutritional supplemental strategy is people who are not producing enough acid. So not only do we have people taking an antacid or taking a proton pump inhibitor to dramatically lower the amount of acid at mealtime, but we also have a lot of people who just simply aren't producing enough acid to begin with. And ironically, they're the ones that think they need the, the proton pump inhibitors. Right. <laughs> because right. They're, they're, their symptoms are because of not enough production of acid rather than too much. So it's the opposite. So not enough production of acid leads to malabsorption and malabsorption syndromes then create cravings and create all kinds of problems. And and not to mention too, I think there's a lot of patients who've been on these acid reducers for so long, it it definitely disrupts their gut. 
but for a lot of people, it actually gives them an excuse to eat poorly because they're not listening to their body. Well, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it allows them to eat poorly without pain. Right. You know, so it's like block the pain. I'm going to keep gorging myself. Right. I can eat this because I have no (laughs) symptoms. Therefore, it must be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so the protocol that you're doing, dude, you want to touch upon that and where it originated from? So, yeah. So, so, uh, actually, Dr. Bredesen coined this term that everybody starting at the age of 45 should actually consider to get a cognoscopy. <laughs> so so you, you as a family physician right. know that you know, you're telling your patients by age 50, yeah. unless they have other symptoms, they should be getting a colonoscopy. colonoscopy. So everybody knows that. Not right. everybody does it, but sure. everybody should consider that. But, um, but we, we also all should be paying attention to what are the appropriate assessment screening tools to evaluate mm-hmm. Am I putting my brain at risk? Am I currently at risk? Am I actually degenerating cognitively even though my brain reserve hasn't allowed me to figure that out yet? I still can get away with it because I have enough brain reserve where I, all these risk factors are not giving me an obvious uh, awareness of my cognitive decline, but I'm actually losing my reserve year by year by year. So doing a, a cognoscopy, which is all the appropriate lab tests and, 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 and screening tests that would be useful in today's uh, scientific environment to then help me make choices about what I should change in order to regain my cognitive reserve and not ever have to go the route of having to reverse a problem. So, so I'm 46 right now, so so I need to get a cognoscopy. There you go. And so yeah. it doesn't sound very painful, like a colonoscopy. And, <laughs> no. uh, but So it sounds like I need to make sure I'm, you know, there's certain blood tests that I need to check, right, for inflammation, nutritional level. Yeah. Um, infl- and, you know, and there's, there's various uh, levels of a cognoscopy. Um, when usually people that come to me are really serious mm-hmm. and they're they like they want I want it all you know right. or or most of my patients are they've already been diagnosed with a problem and so they're like you know there's no time to waste here you know the once you've been diagnosed you know you're you're declining fairly rapidly and so mm-hmm. you want to jump on it uh, I had a patient this morning who just had a grand both grandparents with Alzheimer's but she's she's uh in her uh early 30s and doing great she just wants to have a plan so she this which is a great thing so we're going to introduce this cognoscopy this series of 40 different blood tests right right? you know over a period of a year or two yeah whereas many patients will do this over a period of two weeks they'll just Mm -hmm. get all these tests at once and uh, and uh then we it takes us a couple months to go through them all because there's a lot of data, right. and and the goal is to find as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So I say that it says that the good news here is the more risk factors we find that you have, the better the news. Why? Because the more risk factors that we find, the more things we can fix. The more things we can fix, the better your opportunity to reverse whatever's going on in your body, right. in your brain right now. So so now Dr. Bredesen. Uh, so it was about 2015, I believe, he, his first study. 2014. 2014. And he had patients with, out, 10 patients, I believe it was, initially mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's disease and... Or MCI, or mild cognitive okay. impairment, like early Alzheimer's. Or, these were six out of the 10 patients 
had actually progressed far enough in their dementia that they could no longer work. These were, these were uh, executives, uh, business owners that now couldn't do their work, uh, even with an assistant with them 24 hours a day to remind them of what they were forgetting. And every single one of those six patients that couldn't work prior to their cognoscopy, right. within six to nine months, we're back to work full time. So, so, so this is what sparked yeah. your interest, got oh, yeah. you into it, and then now you've been using a similar protocol, working with him, or explain that. Yeah. How. So, so it was in 2014, late part of 14, that I that I read this paper. I go like, what? I mean, I was like, I was like, wow, this is right. great, you know. And and I had worked in Guam for 14 years, and that's where I I I developed my 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 uh, experience with reversing diabetes. But in Guam, they had a condition that's called lytical bodeg, which was a combi- it's a rare combination of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and ALS, wow. Lou Gehrig's disease. Can you imagine having all three of those diseases at, at one time? That would be tough. Devastating. And, and so, but I never, I never actually saw those patients because I, I just see whoever sees me. For whatever right. reason, I just, you know, figure it out, right? And right. so... So it was only later, when, when after after reading Bredesen's paper, that that I started realizing, you know, this whole lifestyle medicine approach could easily uh, help people who are concerned about Alzheimer's and even people with Alzheimer's. So, so I started uh, doing a lot of lectures on it, and uh, and because I, I lecture around the country, uh, uh, different conferences or organizations that want me to, and. Um, and, uh, and then clinically, I started implementing aspects of that program. But it was, it was uh, in, in 2016, mm-hmm. in, in late 2016, when I actually went and trained with Dr. Bredesen in San Francisco at, uh, at the Buck Institute for Aging, which he was the founding president of. It's a research, research center in Novato, just north of San Francisco beautiful place right. and and they're they're on the cutting edge of neurologic research and so dr bredesen as a neurologist is has been doing research for 40 years so mm-hmm. he's super smart i mean right. he's amazing nicest guy i've ever met literally i mean right. he he would he would sit here and talk to us for two hours i mean he's yeah. that he's that helpful and um and so i trained with him over a three-day weekend and uh and i immediately I immediately just incorporated the entire protocol into my practice, and uh, which which took time. I mean, this is a very comprehensive protocol, and and so Dr. Bredesen recognized that I had kind of immersed myself in this, so he started sending patients to me, and and just you know he's still referring patients to right. me. I I can't keep up, <laughs> you know, and so. And so I realized that then I was going to have to start doing intensives and, and helping training other doctors. Right. And I just got back two weeks ago from training 100 doctors how to do this in Indianapolis at an at a international conference. Mm-hmm. And, and so the goal, I mean, there's, there's so many needs out there. You know that Alzheimer's is the number one cause of death in Europe and in Japan? Number one. Wow. I believe, Eric, that, that Alzheimer's is number one in the U.S. as well. Sure. It's actually, uh, it's actually uh, rated number three after heart disease and cancer. But if you 
I think our statistics are poor compared to Europe and Japan. Right. I mean, you know, our statistics aren't as good as theirs. Yeah. You know? So, um, so the 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 bottom line is that we got a huge problem, and that conventional medicine has no answers for. And so, so that's why Dr. Bredesen has committed his his entire career to helping people understand this broad broad rationale for what is causing Alzheimer's, uh, this, this buildup of plaques and tau proteins in the brain, and, and find multiple strategies to collectively address risk. And once we start looking at this from a programmatic standpoint rather than a monotherapeutic standpoint, people start getting better. It's just, it's just right. so rewarding to help people in this field. Sure. Uh, so he, he has now trained about a thousand doctors uh, how to, you know, the, the, the foundational principles of this. The problem is, is a lot of people still aren't doing the whole program because it's, you know, I, I spend an hour, here's, here's my protocol. Okay, I, I, when I first see the patient, I make sure that we order all the right tests. That literally, you know, normally when you order tests, it takes you like two minutes and right. you're done. Yeah. It literally tells me it takes me about half an hour to order the test because right. there's so many. You know, and, and so and we, depending on a patient, I spread it out over a couple weeks' time. Okay. And so I say, okay, I, and I, I, if they're in a hurry, if they want to get on it, right, if they already have a diagnosis, then I, I want to see them back every two weeks for two months, okay, for an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's not because I'm trying to, get right. more visits. I'm right. not. Sure. I, in fact, I, I would rather not see him that often. Right. That's just what it takes right. to to get through all the information and, and make sure that they understand what they're doing and educate their family about, about how to support them and figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work for that person. We get through all the information, get them on the entire protocol uh, that involves the exercise, the different types of exercise, the, the dietary specifics, the the supplemental specific and there's a lot of supplements right there's a lot of supplements involved good thing a lot of people say well i don't believe in these supplements <laughs> really right you know i mean it's like it's good that there's a lot of different supplements right. because that means we have many different mechanisms by which we could potentially help that patient okay we're talking about alzheimer's here man right let's do everything possible yeah. okay, you know and there's actually <laughs> all kinds of studies supporting each of the supplements there's not a clinical double-blind study with each one. There's right. some of them, yeah. okay? But let's do the best we can, yeah. and by doing that, we're getting great results. Right. Uh, um, dealing with the toxicology aspects, dealing with the inflammation and so forth. And then I see them once a month for about four months. And at, at that point, we decide what is appropriate for them. So that, yeah. you know, in any practice, that's pretty intensive, yeah. Yeah. right? But I found, at least for me, that that's what works. And, uh, and then I have this 15-hour kind of um, course on Vimeo On Demand that is, is, my, is my educational approach on the Bredesen protocol so that the patient can apply it in their, 
you know, watch it a couple hours a week right. and, and, and keep watching it and learn how to do that. So they don't have to come back to see me more often than they already are. Because right. you were doing live seminars as well, right? Live yeah. groups. But for those who are unable to fly out here and spend you right. know, X amount of days in a hotel yeah. with a live, they're able to watch this from their own home and go at their own pace, yeah. rewind it, watch it as many times as necessary in order to make sure they absorb. Yeah, they, they're doing a four-day intensive. I mean, when when, when Dr. Bredesen did his four-day intensive in, uh, in uh, near Palm Springs, mm-hmm. they, they went all out with organic food for everybody, right. and they, they brought out all these top speakers, and and it was $25,000. Wow. And and he was criticized for that. And, and, and he told me a couple of weeks ago, he says, you know how much money I made on that? Pro- they had 100 people, oh 25,000 each. Yeah. So you think, oh, man, he made a killing. Right. He, says, he says, I lost 125,000 on that. Wow. Because they were, they were going all out. They did all the labs and everything. Oh, yeah. So now the average person, they, they were doing this for the high, right. you know, the upper class, right, right? to help yeah. them, you know, at, at hotels for 800 bucks a night, right? right. Yeah, sure. uh, so, so, but, you know, so our program, my program was $2,000 for, for the program. And then they had to get their hotel at the Coronado Island Marriott right. and fly out and all that. Well, you know, on the average family, that's going to be right. that's going to be like you know five, six, seven thousand dollars sure. probably. Yeah. And so now they can do the whole thing at home for for you know under three hundred bucks. Right. Wow. Excellent. You know. So, I mean, I, so that's why I just I just want this to work. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> we're, trying, we're trying to change lives, get people better, get yeah. them feeling better. You know, one of the things I heard too is you know some people may say this is too hard. It's too much work. It's you know it's it's going to be too difficult. But I, but I would say having Alzheimer's is hard. Oh man! So you, choose how, your heart. Yeah. How how difficult is it to <laughs> right. you know to be told by somebody, hey, right. uh, get dressed, we're going out, and you're like, yeah. and you're standing in a room going like, uh, I don't know how to do this anymore. Right. So, I mean, how hard is that? Yeah. You know, so it, it Bredesen uh, uh, talks about uh, a patient of his that he, a couple years ago said, hey, when you when you figure out just three things. So I just want to do three things. When you figure out just I'm going to take three things for this, give me a call. Hmm. And so Bredesen said, he says, well, if it was up to me, I'd say sure. Right. But it's not up to me. This is yeah. up to Alzheimer's. Right. See, Alzheimer's is a condition that involves dozens and dozens of different dimensions that we have to address one at a time and figure them out. And everybody's got a different mix of those. So we need to personalize this, and and so they, they you know a common the two main criticisms or challenges would be a better word of of this comprehensive protocol. Number one, diet. You know, like are you kidding me? You mean I got to change my diet? Right. Okay. Right. And we all know that one, right? Yeah. So number two criticism is the number of supplements that could potentially be involved. Now, nobody's saying people have to take all the supplements. I'm just saying you know. Let's just figure out, based on your lab test, based on your medical history, based on everything we know about you, is it reasonable to use this and this and this different supplement? Right. You know, and so that's why the more lab tests you do, the more justification you have. This is really a prudent strategy. Right. And, and, and then the lab tests also tell you, no, no, you're overdoing this. No, we, we got to change something. So right. that's why you... You constantly update and optimize the program. And, and, you know, I have some patients that might be taking five supplements. I have some other patients that might be taking 15 different supplements right. or more. 
the the key is let's let's do as much as right. we can to get the benefit right. okay and and once we have that attitude instead of how little can i do to be successful right. if you say what else can i do to be successful those are the people that are getting dramatic transformations in their health and, and i think when you realize it too relatively i mean so so yeah there, there's the you know the the cost of the education there's the cost of the supplements there's the cost of some of these lifestyle changes but what's the cost of the disease Right. What, what's the cost of, of, <laughs> of stopping, you know, stopping work 15, 20 years earlier because, you know, because you have a disease? What's the cost of, of medications? What's the cost of having to have someone come and take care of somebody or going into a nursing home? That's expensive. Alzheimer's care is anywhere between five and, and ten thousand dollars a month. Five thousand to ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. to take care of a patient with Alzheimer's disease. So when so I've actually had people say, oh man, these labs, there's, this is way too expensive. We have, with discount, we can get 80% discount rates. So right. somebody just wants to just say, I'm not gonna worry about what my insurance company will approve or not, I'm just gonna right. do it. We can get almost like 40 different vials of blood, right. you, know, you know, all kinds of labs for under $2,000, usually for around 1,000. And, 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 and so they say, oh, that's a crazy amount of money to spend. So compared to what? Right. Compared to what? You know, that, I mean, compared to... one week to, in a nursing home. Yeah, <laughs> that's one week in a nursing home. And you're not getting any better by right. being there. You're actually right. getting worse by being there. Yeah. So, so the, the actual treatment, the, the, the Bredesen Protocol treatment program, even if you include paying for go to a, going to a, a fitness club, if even if you include, you know, getting a sauna that you can put into your house so you can sweat out these toxins, right. you know, wh whatever it's going to take is it's nothing compared to what you're going to be spending right. in in less than a couple years if you just decide not to do anything. Right, right. And, yeah. and for those who who even a couple thousand dollars may be difficult, you know, ask friends, ask family, consider a GoFundMe page saying, hey, I'm undergoing treatment, I need some help because my insurance isn't covering it, and you know, people could easily yeah. raise few thousand dollars oh, yeah. that way in fact that my patient out of houston a, a year yeah, and a half ago texan that yeah. you know you know he he was out of work because he lost his job because of alzheimer's right. and uh and his wife was a teacher so they didn't have tons of money right. so their friends literally did a gofundme <clears throat> wow. and and they they paid for their entire four day you know the the, the flight out here the hotel right. and the and and being at the four day intensive i did and and you know within a month they were recouping on that because you know he was doing so much better and yeah. and uh, I mean he's literally gone from a zero uh, score on the cognitive assessment zero yeah. out of thirty to a nine. Wow. Now he still technically has Alzheimer's. Sure. But he's functional. It's kind of like the the autism spectrum. Right. Right. The Asperger syndrome. Uh, you can have people who have autism. You don't even you can't even tell. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they, they you would never know it by talking to them, etc. That they're part of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, but it's same thing with Alzheimer's. There's there's all kinds of people who have Alzheimer's right now that that are doing something about. It. You can't even tell. Right. You literally can't. It's only after being with them for a couple of days that you realize that there might be saying asking you the same questions or something. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, they're functional. They're enjoying life. They're having fun. They're 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 having great relationships with family and friends. That's what we want to hold on to, and we can't. Right. So so a couple more questions. What so study research studies coming out? You said you're part of a research study. Can you, can you share? Some right. So so. 
Dr. Bredesen just uh, in October came out with a, a, a new paper in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and Parkinsonism. And it was a, a paper that included a hundred case studies of people who had reversed cognitive decline. And I was fortunate to, um, I was among the initial five who had been asked to submit sure. to that. And it was originally just gonna be 50 case studies. And he opened it up and there was 15 different doctors, including centers at the Mayo Clinic, uh, actually, yeah, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, uh, UCLA and other places um, that, including myself, who submitted case studies. And so it's 100 case studies that it was it was published in that journal. I can send you the okay, yeah. the, the PDF for that. We'll put it in the show notes and, so people uh, can see it. And uh, it just it just documenting that this is doable. Right. You know, the initial criticism, the first study was ten, the first paper was on ten patients, second paper was on <clears> ten <throat> patients, and people were like, yeah, it's ten pages, that doesn't mean anything. Well, in my opinion, right. that meant so much to me that it got me into providing this as a clinical option because hey if it worked on 10 people nine out of 10 people in the right. first paper yeah. then why can't it work for the next patient that i see right. who has this problem and it did you know so this idea oh, i'm not going to do it because it was only 10 people is an excuse not to do hard work so so we'll okay. put the we'll put the link yeah. to that study and for those people who are listening to this who have family members with alzheimer's disease who maybe are you know hearing this information for the first time are excited about it they want to go talk to their family doctor to the neurologist and you're thinking they're going to think i'm crazy maybe i'll share this podcast yeah. with them print out that paper show them that paper you know because yeah. that's going to help neutralize and now the the doctor will have to respond in the language yeah. that they speak yeah. say here's a paper of 100 people who have gotten better I would like to do this. And that, that includes uh, patients with double copy mutations to the Alzheimer's gene. Wow. People aren't supposed to get better. <clears throat> right. In fact, none of these people are supposed yeah. to get better. They're all supposed to get worse. Right. And, but these are getting better. Yeah. So that it's, it's, it's dramatic. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. And, and so if patients want to call, uh, contact you, Dr. Youngberg, uh, how, how can they reach you? Well, the, the easiest way is to just go to, to dryoungberg.com. So okay. dryoungberg.com. That's Y-O-U-N-G-B-E-R-G.com. Um, and all my contact information is there. Um, uh, I, have, I have a YouTube channel with all kinds of videos on it. Uh, just Google, Google Wes Youngberg. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. And, uh, and then they can call you and, uh, and either, or they can uh, reach you. Uh, like you said, you have, you have the videos on Vimeo, so they can sign yeah, up the for Vimeo that. Yeah, the Vimeo On Demand. On Demand, okay. Uh, you just go to Vimeo forward slash On Demand and then search for Youngberg and you'll see the, the lectures I've done at medical conferences uh, as well as the entire 15-hour series called uh, Reignite Recognition, which is the my interpretation of the Bredesen Protocol. Okay, and, and then you also do one-on-one uh, -on -one consults with patients as well. Right, right, okay. yeah. And so, by the way, just uh, for anybody who actually decides, because you can actually pay for a consult online, mm -hmm. but if somebody does that, and get scheduled for a consult, um, obviously I'll, I'll, I'll work with them. They don't have to be with me. They can, 70% of my consults are either by phone or Skype or, or Zoom or FaceTime. Okay. So I have most, most of my patients are actually outside of Southern California. Right. I, I love seeing patients coming in, sure. but, uh, but it's, it's, it's easy to order labs wherever they're at. You know, they can do labs at their facilities near their home. And then, and then we, 
email them their labs once they're done, and then we go over them by phone or, or Skype okay. and, uh, and, and, and give them the recommendations and go that way. But just here's my point, is if they're going to do an appointment for with anybody, myself or anybody right. else, this is it's a series. It's not one. It's not a one-time appointment. Then okay, I'm going to do this. Thanks, Doc. Right. You know, I'll see you sure. next year. You know, yeah. I'm good. No, this this is, you know, this is a, this is cognition. This is yeah. Alzheimer's. This takes time, and and that and so the way I recommend is two visits the first each of the first two months, right. and then and then a monthly visits for four months. So I, I say schedule a six month. See, they can always cancel the visits right. if they, for whatever reason, yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. I just want to make sure that if they're going to see me, right. they're they're getting enough of me to get better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's an investment. It's an investment into into you know for those listeners. It's an investment into your health, to a loved one's health, and uh, you know investing into our health is definitely one of the best investments one can make in their life. That's right. Pay pay a little bit now or a lot later. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I thank you for your time, all this great information today, and uh, you know we hope to have you on again in future episodes. Maybe we can talk about some other uh, experiences. Again, we can go more into diabetes and Absolutely. How, how you reverse that, and you know depression. I know you're, you're uh, you have some good ideas on how people can reverse depression through right. lifestyle changes, and uh, and so we'd like to hear more about that in the future. Yeah, thank you very much, hey. and uh, we hope everybody enjoyed the show.